Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think we need to have a wake for the 2023 Pitt football season because Pitt lost to Wake Forest. Uh, another loss for the Pitt Panthers. Uh, Pitt falls now to 2-5 and five on the season after falling at Wake Forest 21-17. to 17. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Football Unscripted on the Pitt Talk Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen, and I am thrilled to be joined uh, during this episode by, you know, might know him on Twitter at NFL Gimpy. We got Justin here. Justin. Uh, how are you doing after we have digested this pit versus wake game? <laughs> uh, I do believe uh, that digestion, digesting turned into indigestion after watching that one. So uh, still not happy. Uh, I would say it's probably some of the most, some of like the most anger I've felt after a pit game in a while. Like a lot of times it's more like a disappointment or just sadness like it, it was it was angry there was a level of rage there that i was like I, I almost like took a walk just to like you know try to calm myself down it was pretty bad it was one of those things where you you want to almost go like full karen and like demand to speak to a manager because <laughs> you see this and we'll, we'll jump right into it but you see this stuff and you're like how is there no one that can overrule this how is there no oversight here you're just wondering how is this allowed to stand it, it was mind-boggling so let's talk about this 23 second span in which Pitt goes from having the game effectively won because Christian Bayer leads the team down the field they get a go-ahead touchdown and then MJ Devonshire has an interception uh with uh with 90 seconds under 90 seconds left actually uh and that should have been the game that should have been it and then three things happen. 
First, there are two unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalties on the same play. Donovan Millen dragging a Wake Forest player away from the ball. That moves Pitt back 20, uh, 30 yards, excuse me, 30 yards. So horrible field position now. Then after nothing on the first two offensive downs for Pitt, Christian Vieira runs it on third down, has what seems to be a first down, but then the ref behind him says that he started his slide before the first down marker. And once you start your slide by rule, you are officially deemed down. And so that was not a first down. It was a fourth down. And then the third thing that happened was then Pitt punted it away. Junko only punted at 32 yards and Wake Forest only had to complete a handful of plays to work the ball down the field. And in the span of just uh, in under a minute, they managed to get a game-winning touchdown. So let's just talk about that. I mean, the anger, all these things, you could not believe any of them happened. The last time that I saw Pitt collapse in a game that you surely thought was over like this was probably the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth against Houston in 2015. I was at that game. It was awful. And it was just a game where you look, how on earth can they blow this? And they managed to, and they did it again against Wake. Yeah, so I mean, it's just, it's really one of those things where it's like, it's just a comedy of errors. If you remove one individual thing from it, it probably works out well. And one thing you didn't point out in that was, I thought there was a pretty clear angle on the game-winning touchdown from Wake. His knee was down before he got in the end zone. That was like, that was cursed. Like, listen, like, I understand that. The slide, you know, it's a subjective call in that, first off, I don't believe he started the slide before he crossed to me. It looked like he was slowing down, then he started the slide. But again, so that's a subjective call. But they're like on that touchdown, like his knee is down before he goes in. So it should have been first to go up the one with like seven seconds to go. So I mean, okay, arguably they still get it in, but but like, hey, at least there's a one more play and they at least have to make the call. I didn't think they had any more timeouts either. So so at least like, hey, at least there's a play or a chance there. But like, it, it, it feels like it's a combination of things. It just feels like it's something only Pitt could do. Like, like, eat, like I said, like remove one of those things and Pitt probably wins. Just it's just a it's like the quicksand from the the replacements. Just once once the quicksand started, just everyone just started drowning simultaneously. Yeah, it it really was just an absolute embarrassment. You could not believe Pitt could lose that game. I, I was on Twitter, and you can follow at Pit Talk Network on Twitter uh, during all the games. A lot of live tweeting there, and I was on there looking at it and when MJ Devonshire had the play big play MJ and he's got the interception and I said that's the game it's over that was it, Pitt could not lose from there it almost reminded me of Miami versus Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago when all Miami had to do was take three knees and that was it and they somehow managed to lose it felt like that Pitt only needed one first down they even if they didn't get that if not for the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties wake isn't going to have good field position if not for the punt as you said one small thing changes and Pitt wins that game not even mentioning as you said the fact that he was down about a half a yard short and there should have been one more play where wake needed to punch it in which they very well may have but Still, it just boggles my mind how Pitt managed to lose that game. And I think what's so frustrating for Pat Narduzzi right now 
or for the fans, for, for anyone covering the team regarding Pat Narduzzi is for most of his tenure, Pitt has actually found ways to win. They win these 50, 50 ball games. And that was not the case before. Certainly was not the case under Paul Christ, but under Pat Narduzzi, they have managed to win these close games. They found ways to win instead of the other way around. Pitting has for the most part gone the way of the past. They, there are still, they still lose brutal games. I think it was, might've been the COVID year. They lost to like Boston college by one point in an infuriating way. So there are still games. It's not overall, but for the most part, they find ways to win here. They found a way to lose. Yeah. It's, it, it's the, it was the purity thing about Pat Narduzzi's philosophy as a head coach to me is that he expects the defense to win the game. And as you mentioned, like for the most part, he's been right. You know, whenever it comes down to, like, crunch time, he expects his defense to make the play. And they typically do. But uh, it drives me nuts that just here we are year, how many years he's been head coach now, seven or eight. Uh, time is a flat circle. Um, <laughs> like, it's it's the same thing. It's Narduzzi putting all of this focus on the defense, expecting the defense to win the game even though the game of football has evolved way past that. It's this Big Ten philosophy of defense wins championships when his best team ever actually really opened it up offensively and did things like, you know, chucking bombs on fourth and one instead of running it. You know, a very something that Pat Narduzzi probably never would endorse unless he had, you know, the inabsolute stud at quarterback and at wide receiver. And it's not like the other guys beyond uh, Pickett and Addison weren't too shabby either like Taysier Mack was a heck of a wide receiver himself Lucas Kroll still in the NFL Gavin Bartholomew probably has a good chance in the NFL like there was so much talent on that team and it took all of that for Pat Narduzzi to be like okay we can open up the offense a little bit yeah it, it really is it's frustrating because they they open up the offense a bit and and in Louisville they actually had some drives where they looked really good even in this game there were a couple drives where they looked good but they just were not able to sustain it. So, yeah, ultimately, we'll talk about the offense in a second, just to sort of put a bow on this conversation about the slide. I'm with you. I think he slows down. I think the problem is he the, the motion that he's doing to slow down is he's sort of leaning back a little bit with his upper body and then his lower mm -hmm. body is still forward. So you can argue that that motion was the beginning of the slide. Now, he still takes a couple steps before he goes down for the slide, but I can see how the call would be made. Still frustrating that a ref made it five yards behind the play. Still frustrating that they did not review it, that the refs just uh, refused, mm -hmm. I guess, to review the play. Still frustrating. It can be reviewed. Okay, so then that would that would make sense. Yeah, so so uh, so the reason it can't be reviewed, I, I, this is my thought process. Maybe I'm entirely wrong, and I'm just you know pulling things out of you know ra random spots. But um, I believe it's the same thing as like a forward progress ruling. So whenever you see, for example, you see a wide receiver catch the ball and coming back to it. Uh, let's say you know a, a guy catches the ball at the twenty, but the motion of coming back to catch it, you know, carries him to like the eighteen, like two more yards. They will rule him down at the twenty because it's you know, you know basically you know making like a four or forward motion kind of ruling. So I think it's the same concept where once you make a subjective rule on where something started or a process started, I don't think they can actually review that. Now, granted, maybe I'm entirely wrong, but I th I think that I don't think it's actually a reviewable call because this is a subjective officiating decision. Yeah. So it, it was. 
the, the whole thing was frustrating. So, okay, so if they can't review it, then there's that. But the call being made. And then on top of that, the fact that this was the rule that was it came out of the Kenny Pickett fake slide. This was a ga- another game, Pitt versus Wake Forest. The last time they played each other, 2021 ACC championship game. Kenny Pickett fakes the slide, looks like he's going to go down to slide. But instead, he runs into the end zone and scores a, a touchdown. They now say after that, whenever you start to go down, whenever you start a slide, a slide motion, that's when it counts. And they deemed that when Christian Bayer started to slow down, he started to lean back his upper body. That's what it was. Ultimately, I looked at it a million times. It's like the Zapruder film. You're you're mm-hmm. looking at every single frame. I could see both sides of it. At the time, I was absolutely livid at the call. I can understand it more now. I do think if you're Christian Bayer you you don't slide in that particular case you just run it out of bounds or you just die forward but you you make absolutely certain that you have a first down before giving yourself up or going down this is his second game starting so that's going to happen and that certainly was not the only reason the pit lost the game as we've talked about so i'm not harping on it but if you if you could have it back you wish he just gets another yard Yeah, one thing I think would have been really nice in this situation, uh, there was another controversial call that happened um, for Iowa, Minnesota, uh, maybe like 10, 20 minutes after this. Yeah, it was in rapid succession. Yeah, like rapid succession. So like for people who didn't see that game, essentially Iowa returned a punt return for a touchdown with like like very late in the fourth quarter, like a minute or so to go, maybe less than that, uh, which should have been like the game-winning punt return touchdown. But after they actually reviewed it and they essentially declared that he had waived for a fair catch. And when you watch the video, it, it, it's, it doesn't look like he's waving a fair catch, but like he's making a motion that could absolutely be perceived as make, doing a fair catch. And the reason I brought this up is the Big Ten actually had like a, a, a press conference or at least like a teleconference or something like that, where they actually explained the officials and what they saw and explained everything about that. That's a level of transparency that is sorely lacking. And I hate to give the big 10 a compliment right now, but you know, they actually had the transparency to say, Hey, this is why we made this very controversial call. And that is severely lacking in sports for, even if the officials are right to at the very least, like take the time to explain it. Like someone should take the time to explain why that was not reviewed. You know, to not let random, you know, twi- Twitter jagoffs, you know, start pulling uh, theories as to why they didn't review it. And, you know, actually like explain, hey, guys, this is not a reviewable play or we did review it. Like, give us something, not just, you know, just leave it go. And just I, I loathe ACC officiating. You know, everyone hates their conferences officiating, but I, I really loathe the ACC's officiating. Yeah, it, for, for Pitt fans, it's just incredibly frustrating because it, it feels like this keeps happening and this is a team in North Carolina where the ACC is based that gets the benefit. So it's brutal. Again, so many things go into it. I, I still don't like the call. I don't like, as you said, the lack of transparency. The NBA, for instance, has a two-minute report. The last two minutes of every game they put out when they make a mistake, sure, it doesn't change the result, but they at least own up to it and or or explain themselves as you said and and they don't do that here uh but again it's it's almost like death by a thousand cuts it's if christian bayer just does that pitt wins the game if uh donovan mcmillan doesn't drag a guy in the on the interception 
Pitt probably wins the game. If the punt goes a little bit further, Pitt probably wins the game. If they did all these things and Pitt probably wins the game, they somehow found a way to lose. Uh, ultimately, a big reason that Pitt lost was the offense. And while there are some bright spots that we'll get to, we've got to start with the negatives because Pitt lost and they're two and five, and that's what we're going to do. Um, this offense remains dreadful. There was a week and then maybe the first drive in this game, a couple minutes in this game, that people thought, huh, this offense actually looks decent. Maybe it was just Phil Dracovic that's the problem and not Frank Signetti. And under Christian Bayer, this offense is decent. Well, I think that got squashed in this Wake Forest game. Pitt's offense outside of two drives, the first drive and the last – or no, it wasn't the first drive. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was. the Outside of the first drive and the last drive offensively, uh, Pitt's offense looked – pretty dreadful and Frank Signetti is still hampering this program it's like trying to fight with both arms tied behind your back because as you said Pat Narduzzi wants to win with defense you can't really win with defense if your offense is putting up 17 points in a game the offense just remains an absolute mess yeah, so the thing that really drove me nuts was that if the offense kept moving the ball and then they find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. One of the things that, and really, I think a lot of this does come down to offensive play calling and offensive design. Uh, so one of the things I was kind of looking at was, you know, third and fourth down uh, conversions, uh, you know, whether they would pass or run the ball. Pitt on passing uh, on th So third and five or less when they tried to run the ball versus pass the ball. When they threw the ball on third and five or less, they were four for five. When they tried to run the ball, they were 0 for four. That, like, it, 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 and when you, uh, I know we were talking before uh, we, start, we started a recording in terms of, like, you know, I did some, like, tape breakdown of some of the running plays and some of the things that I saw. It, it was a consistent problem all day on Saturday that in an unblocked or unaccounted for defensive lineman or linebacker was making a play in the backfield. And I just, it, it, it was driving me nuts. I was losing my mind. Like I, I just really just wanted to clip one video. Just like, Hey, I saw this, thought this was neat. And then I just kept watching the game. And I was like, I just kept getting more, seeing it more and more. It's like, Oh, hey, here's an unblocked defensive end. Here's an unblocked linebacker. It's like, Oh, Hey, you're running. Uh, you have four guys blocking five guys and you're running to that side of the field. This was like, I, there were just so many details in the running game that I'm just like, uh, it, it's funny. Like I would expect a, a Frank Signetti offense to have a good running game in terms of like the blocking scheme. Like, Hey, getting a, getting a helmet on a helmet, getting a, you know, getting things blocked correctly. And it's just, there just were so many unblocked guys. So either it was a comedy of errors on blocking or they just did not account for one guy, and that one guy just kept making plays. Just something about the way that running offense went just absolutely drove me bonkers. It, it was deeply frustrating. And the run game, as you said, that should be Frank Signetti's specialty. That should be where he thrives, especially with Phil Dracovic being the quarterback for most of the season and then having a relatively new quarterback. You know, he hasn't played too much in Christian Bayer. You can understand why the passing game might be lacking to some extent. The run game should be the bread and butter, but it's been bad. First of all, we have no idea what's happened with Rodney Hammond. He got three carries in the game. That's it. Uh, barely on the field at all. 
I don't know if he's injured, if there's some lingering injury, but he still made it on the field. So you'd think maybe he's healthy. But for whatever reason, Sebo Flemister has become the guy. Not that he's a bad running back, but Rodney Hammond is so talented. We just have no idea why he's not on the field. As you said, the offensive line is missing so many guys that are getting into the backfield, that are that are breaking up runs. They use these runs on, you know, third and short, fourth and short, and they just do the same thing every time. It was – I saw somewhere where it was, okay, Pitt on third and three, handed off to Flemister, uh, loses a yard. Pitt on third and two, handed off to Flemister, loses a yard. Pitt on fourth and one, handed off to Flemister, no gain. Pitt on third and three, hands it off to Hammond, no gain. Like every single time in these short yardage situations, it was the same thing over and over. And it was the blocking just isn't there. I mean, the offensive line still just, yes, they're inexperienced and yes, they're very banged up, but it's been rough this season. Uh, Rodney Hammond not getting carries. Sebo Flemister essentially the only running back on the roster. And what we were originally thinking might have four running backs that could get playing time. We're now effectively seeing one no play action passes for some reason that any of those times when you think that wake forest that everyone is expecting Pitt to run it on third and two and at no point do they try to run a play action pass and throw it down the field now they have a competent quarterback uh, just everything about this offense is so frustrating and i just don't see how they can keep doing this over and over again yeah, uh, definition of insanity, doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. One of the things that really shocked me, it, it, it's really shocked me this whole season, um, just a lack of use from Daniel Carter. And, and so, like, Daniel Carter and short yardage, Daniel Carter as a fullback. I mean, so, like, hey, they kept lining up. Um, it, you know, it, it was either, like, 11 or 12 personnel, just, you know, so one or two tight ends on the field, and and they and then it was Veyer typically under center, and that's what a huge percentage of their running plays that kept failing were. And I'm just I, I kept seeing it. It's just like lining up under center, up uh, Sebo in the backfield, got one or two tight ends lined up on the line, and they run it, and someone go, is entirely unblocked and goes in and t- gets the gets a loss or no gain. Like that just that kept happening, and I'm just begging as I'm watching this like stop running like this like put it and that's the, if you're seeing unblocked guys do a fullback do some misdirection run a counter like do something other than literally lining up and just running straight at the defense uh when they clearly can see it coming and expect it coming and like you said like there's injuries on the offense line help those guys out you know get get give some do something to, you know, not so they're not like constantly getting beaten. Let them build up confidence, like coaching one on one with like a young quarterback. And, and this is funny. Frank said good actually did a really good job with this. Give Christian Bayer some easy early completions yep. to build up his confidence, get him into the flow of things. Like emotion is a big part of the game of football. And he did a good job with that with Christian early on. And then he just decided to, oh, hey, this running game that's not working all game. I'm just going to keep doing the exact same thing. Absolutely. That first drive, again, all of us were saying, huh, maybe this offense is decent now. Maybe Frank Signetti isn't a bad offensive coordinator, and he just had to get a a quarterback in there that could run the system. But then it it just all went downhill. Yeah, it's he's running an offense from the 1960s, and it's just – it's clearly ineffective. I mean, you can't run an offense that way anymore. And even if he wants to, if Pat Narduzzi wants to – it just can't happen. And 
it, it was so frustrating to see them, as you said, just run it up the gut over and over again and expecting a different result. It's like they had, they thought that the offensive line that they had was like Georgia's offensive line going up against like Southern Utah. And they thought, oh yeah, we'll just bully them in the trenches. No, this offense is in the offensive line is inexperienced and they're injured. You are not going to just bully people in the trenches. So stop trying. And they, they kept doing it. Even if you're going to run it, like have something be a little bit more creative and then mix. It's just, uh, I, I can't believe that, that we're still watching this offense that is from decades ago, seemingly. And it really doesn't seem like it's going to get better, even with, and, and we'll get into the quarterback and Christian Bayer, even with a more talented quarterback and someone that seems decent. I just don't see how you can justify having, Frank Signetti carry on as offensive coordinator next season. Yeah, I just, I really don't see any justification, like you said. I mean, it's it, like you're looking at the offense, like who, who is, who was playing better prior, like at, to start this season than they were the prior season? Like you expect guys to improve um, from one off season to the start of the season. I can't think of a single player. Uh, that actually looks better this year than he did last year. Not a single one. I can think of several guys who look worse, uh, but you know, I'm not going to like sit here throwing any other players under the bus or anything like that. But at the same time, like no one looks better. Lots of guys look worse. I'm a firm believer, one player, one mistake on that player. Whenever you see numerous players making numerous mistakes, that's where it's a coaching problem because you see – this, you see the same things and the same mistakes done by different players. Just There's just so much lack of attention to detail on the offense. And my theory on a lot of those things is that you're not giving guys the proper keys and the proper setups. Okay, you, you're going to be looking for A or B. When you see A, you do this. When you see B, you do this. Guys just, they don't seem to have guidance on what to do in various situations. Yeah, I completely agree. And this really is a coaching failure. Uh, it, it certainly is at the top. I'm not making the case that Pat Narduzzi should be fired after this season because I think he has earned the chance to go into next season and try to hit the reset button. But Francis Netti has not earned the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he should be retained. Uh, offensive line coach Dave Borbley. I mean, maybe if they can turn some things around, but I don't know about him. He, yeah, it's it, the offensive line has just been dreadful, even with the inexperience, even with the injuries just these these errors that as you said can really just come down to coaching and to me it's it, something drastic has to be done when it comes to the offense because the defense even though on that final drive they did collapse completely in just a few seconds and let Wake Forest win the game for the most part the defense looked good now they are playing a third string quarterback um but you know there's not too much to complain about the defense i think overall Pat Narduzzi and Randy Bates, they have proven it in the past. And I think that they can, there was a lot of turnover last season. And I think that they can improve that, but man, this offense is killing this team. And again, if I'm Pat Narduzzi, I'm thinking, man, I've got to get a new offense. I've got to completely change this offense because my side of the ball, the defense is actually showing up to work and we're losing these games because of the offense. So if you're a Pitt fan, you're hopeful. I think there's a decent chance that they make a change. But, man, watching this offense this year has been dreadful, and I just don't see any way that they can bring it back for next season. Yeah, it, it, it really feels like Sean Watson all over again. Just, yep. you know, 
you bring in a guy who's running an old school, you know, run first scheme. And, but at least the Sean Watson teams could run the ball. Like, oh boy, wait, with Kadri Allison at Darren Hall, they could run the ball. And, but, you know, then Cle- Clemson really, Cle- Clemson did pit a solid uh, in that ACC championship game because that was like the, all right, yeah, we have a pretty good quarterback. We can't keep him in this Sean Watson scheme. And that's why they brought in Mark Whipple. And then, I mean, I don't think Mark Whipple really did anything special offensively. Like, I, I don't feel like he actually, like, um, you know, schemed things like at anything more than an average level. But at the same time, he did a very good job developing guys, you know, from a from a, like, a skill development point, like the way Kenny and Jordan like developed, you know, under his tutelage, obviously you got to give credit to the assistant coaches too, but you know, the guys really developed under him and just like I said, no one under Frank said daddy's getting better. There's no scheming that's outsmarting anyone. Like, like when, there's just no, I didn't think there was any justification to hire him to begin with. I've, I've been on the record on that on uh, Twitter and other various sources uh, many, many times that I thought he was a terrible hire. And unfortunately I was proven right. I'm happy, I'm happy to be wrong in a lot of situations. Like I would love for Frank Sinetti to have come in and lit it up and, you know, literally like, personally rubbed my nose in it. I would have had no problem in the world with that. But at the end of the day, unfortunately I was, I was right. I'm not happy about it. I'd much rather prefer to be wrong here, but you know, Pitt really needs to, Narduzzi needs to take a long look in the mirror and understand that, you know, the way he approaches offense is just, it consistently does not work. Completely agree that this needs to be a season of reckoning for Pat Narduzzi. Again, not saying that he should lose his job because I don't believe he should, Yeah, no. but he needs to reevaluate, especially specifically on offense, what his entire philosophy and what he wants out of an offensive coordinator and what he wants out of an offense. And he just needs to start from scratch and rethink these things because what is happening is not working. And this, this offense is in a really bad spot. That said, I think there are some bright spots and I have found multiple similarities to this season with Christian Vare that I found with Kenny Pickett in 2017. Uh, In both cases, there was an offensive coordinator who clearly is a problem. And as you said, comparing him to Sean Watson, just sort of stuck in a time gone by. What they could have done at the time was after, and that was a successful season, right? Pitt made it to the ACC championship game. This was 2018, not 2017, but Pitt made it to the ACC championship game. And they could have said, hey, look, we won the division. We made it to the ACC championship. We've got a talented quarterback in Kenny Pickett. We don't want to rock the boat and and fire the offensive coordinator and bring in someone new. They could have said that. And to Pat Narduzzi's credit, they didn't. They decided to make a change at OC, and that helped Kenny Pickett's growth. Learning a new offense was helpful, not harmful. And you have to hope if you're a Pitt fan that that's the case this year, that he looks at it and says, hey, this young quarterback is talented, Let's not make an excuse of, oh, we don't want to hamper his growth. Let's say this guy can do a lot more with a better offensive coordinator. So let's go find him one. And they can do that. And similar to Kenny Pickett in 2017 and 2018, where Kenny found a way to win games. I think it was a Duke game in 2018 that Kenny Pickett in the late in the fourth quarter moved the ball down the field and won the game. Mm-hmm. And you looked at it and you said, this guy has it. And, I think that same way with Christian Vayer. He he's mm-hmm. 
got talent, and most importantly, in that must-win drive, the put-up-or-shut-up drive, late in the fourth quarter, he led the team down the field. He did what he had to do, and he was, should have been won the game for the Panthers. I mean, the offense did their part, uh, except for, again, the slide. Okay, there's all that. But on that one drive, he led that team. And I, I see similarities. I'm not saying he's going to be a Heisman finalist like Kenny Pickett, but there is clearly potential there. And to me, there is at least some reason for optimism next year if there's a new offensive coordinator and a new offensive philosophy. Yeah, there's there is a lot to work with on Christian Bayer. Like I, when I was watching rewatching the game uh, on Sunday, uh, you know, I, I felt I, my initial focus was going to be you know on the negative, like how like I, because I do I kept seeing unblocked rushers, uh, you know, getting in the backfield in the running game, and I wanted to try to identify any sort of like problem, see if I could figure anything out there. Um, and I know in the moment of games, I'm entirely too emotional to fully process what's happening. I'm very focused on result. And whenever you take a step back and you watch a game, you can focus more on process. So, you know, with, with football, a lot of times, you know, the process and the result don't always sync up. Sometimes you can have a great process and a poor result or a poor process and a great result. So you want to kind of see, you know, when you know, why are things happening the way they are? And there were, I, there were several plays that Christian Bayer made that, you know, you see, like, you, you see the physical talent. Dude's got an arm. He had, he, like, he's got a stronger arm than Kenny. Absolutely. Like, Kenny has, like, Kenny has like average NFL strength. Like Veyer, like he's thrown a couple of frozen ropes uh, this season. That I'm like, oh boy, he's he's got a rock. He's got an arm. And but there were also time. There were a couple of plays where I saw some really high level processing. Like, I, and there was one play. Um, what it was? It, I want to say it was an in route to Bub Means. Uh, so Bub Means was on the left, and he went out, and he kind of cut inside. And it, it looked like I think it might have been a dagger concept. So dagger concept is you have a guy running up and in, and then you have a slot guy inside of him running a streak. And it actually, so that's what it looked like. So he hit the in right as he crossed um, from from the slot streak, and it was just a perfectly timed throw. And I'm just like, man, like. That's some high-level quarterbacking. I mean, that that is not like you're no, oh, you drop back, you know, you schemed this guy open. Like, no, like he actually was like reading multiple defenders and he hit this play and I'm like, oh man, like there's something here beyond just, you know, a physical talent to work with. Absolutely. And certainly it's a breath of fresh air in comparison to Phil Jerkovic. Oh, um, I mean, we we saw that there were some stats compiled by friend of the pod, Jim Hammett from Panther Lair, and he compared the last uh, two games uh, against West Virginia and Virginia Tech that Phil Jerkovic played. So discounting North Carolina because essentially both quarterbacks played a half. But the last two full games that Jerkovic played were West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Christian Veyer has now played two full games, Louisville and now Wake Forest. And you look at the stats, completion percentage, Jerkovic 45%. There, 56%. And that 45% was much higher than it, it seemed watching him because <laughs> some of those incompletions were dreadful. Uh, Dracovic, 316 yards. There, 502 yards. Dracovic, two touchdowns, three interceptions. There, uh, uh, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Dracovic took five sacks. There, took one sack. Dracovic uh, uh, ran it for 16 yards, and that was his almost bread and butter is the one thing he could actually get out there and move. <laughs> He ran it for 16. Veyer is running for 23. Total team offense for Jerkovic, uh, 484 yards in the two games. 
They are 702 yards. Djokovic led his team to two offensive touchdowns in two games. Veyer has led his team to six offensive touchdowns in two games. Djokovic, 21 first downs compared to Veyer's 33 first downs. Uh, uh, Djokovic, six for 23 on third downs. Veyer, 12 for 33 on third downs. And finally, Djokovic, zero for three on fourth downs. Veyer, two for four on fourth downs. It's a mouthful, and thank you, Jim Hammond, for doing the legwork. Uh, the eye test confirms it. I mean, without a doubt, you don't even need all those numbers to know. Djurkovic was, for lack of a better word, terrible. And Veyer, as you said, he's talented. He's got guts. He's got moxie. There is a lot to like about him. And if not for, again, one small thing either way, we'd be talking about this quarterback coming in and being 2-0 and right off the bat. I think that is a massive uh, glimmer of hope for the Pitt Panthers. Yeah, and, and what's nice too, it's like, you know, let, let's say you get the right offensive coach in there. Kenny Johnson's doing some impressive things. Like, there's a lot, like, Kenny might have like that, uh, not Jordan Addison blow up in terms of like, you know, being a Blitnikoff winner, but, you know, having that, you know, freshman to sophomore year blow up to where, you know, he's showing talent. He, you know, he had a good back shoulder fade that he caught against Louisville. He's caught some deep balls. You see his speed uh, on that kickoff return touchdown. So there's a lot to work with on Kenny Johnson. Kanate Mumpfield is going to be back next year. Uh, Gavin Bartholomew still has another year of eligibility. So, like, there's a lot to work with there. And, you know, Hammond, you know, if we can figure out what's going on there, you know, he, he can be back next year. So it's like there's a lot of skill on the offense that can be returning that. If they can, you know, get the offensive line to be average at the Power 5 level next year, which I think I think they can. Um, I, I think it's the interior of the line that needs the work. I think they have – uh, well, I think Ryan Bear, you see some good things there, especially given, you know, he's a, he's a redshirt freshman, but, you know, I think, I think that could be that, uh, there's, there's some, there's a lot to work with there. So like get the offensive line to be an average power five. There's a lot of talent returning on offense, get the right coach in there to take advantage of that. And we, we could actually see a decent offense next year, but it's going to be heavily, heavily reliant on coaching. Absolutely. And again, there's going to have to be a coaching change and really a change in philosophy. But the talent is without a doubt there. As you said, a lot of these guys have skill. Vayers got skill. Kenny Johnson's got skill. Gavin Bartholomew rarely gets targets. Uh, but, if you know, if he's still around, he's got skill. Uh, Bub Means had a had a great game. I mean, mm -hmm. Bub Means had probably the game of his career. Nine receptions, 109 yards, one touchdown, 12.1 uh, yards per catch. He looked great. I mean, there's just so much talent here, and I think that's what's frustrating is on paper, this team should be so much better than they have been. And with a better offensive coordinator and Christian Bayer starting the season, this team probably beats Wake Forest. They probably beat Virginia Tech. There's a decent chance they beat Cincinnati and or West Virginia. And so on paper, the only team that you think is clearly more talented than Pitt is North Carolina. It's just that the Panthers have squandered it against all these teams that they probably should beat this season. Yeah, it, it, like you said, like Pitt normally wins. Uh, they normally just find that way to win. Like uh, um, Pat Narduzzi, for all of his flaws, his his teams are warriors. Like that, they, they battle. Like they, you you do not see a Pat Narduzzi team quit, which is why you know, like Pitt, every single Pitt fan's like, yeah, we're probably gonna beat Louisville. Like we just 
just saw it coming. Like, it's just because we know how Pitt operates, so it's not a surprise. So it's like, and then again, we, we you get that glimmer of hope, and it's like, oh man, Wake Forest has got a third string quarterback. We got this. And then just, you know, just very classic Pitt collapse, but. Yeah, I'm just it, it's gonna it's gonna be tough to really finish out this season as a fan just because it's like you're watching for the future and it's not like you know pro sports like all right you know let's lose a close one for the draft pick you know there, there's no silver lining to to uh, to losing respectively to Florida State. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. No, and I think there was some hope that Pitt could at least get to five wins because that was, again, the comparisons to Kenny Pickett in 2017, that sort of wasted year uh, from Pitt football, they got to five and seven, but it, it that does not seem like they're going to be able to, to do that. I mean, it, that seemed like a, a fair goal at, at a certain point after the bye week. It was, okay, let's see if they can get this to five and seven. Let's see what they can do. It reminds me of the movie Mr. 3000, and this might be the first Mr. 3000 reference on any college football podcast. But I, I remember one thing that I found funny about that movie was, you know, it's sort of a classic sports movie in some ways, but they weren't fighting like the big run that they need to go on late in the season. They weren't fighting to win the NL Central or win the World Series or whatever. They were fighting to get from fifth place to third place. And to them, they rallied around each other in that way. And I was kind of looking at the season that way. This team was not even trying to make a bowl game necessarily. Just get to five and seven. Five and seven is the benchmark of, okay, yeah, this season wasn't good, but we've got some stuff to build on and let's go into next year with momentum because we've seen that in the past. Let's get to five and seven. I don't think they'll be able to do that now. There's a small chance, but man, the fact that, they haven't had a worse season this century. Five and seven has been the worst record they've had this century. I think they've had it twice. It's looking like this year's team is going to be the worst team or at least have the worst record uh, this century for this Pitt Panthers program. I mean, it is rough. It's crazy. You mentioned the two worst seasons for Pitt this century preceded two of the best seasons yep. that of the century. So it, it's kind of, cr kind of crazy. I mean, like not that they weren't necessarily the best, but you know, so the first five and or uh, sorry, the, uh, so I get no, the, so the 2007, so the 13, nine year, that team went four and seven, I think. And then the other five and seven was, you know, Kenny Pickett, you know, uh, upsetting number two, Miami. So, I mean, so, like, both of those certainly preceded really good seasons. So, I mean, you know, may maybe this is our, you know, maybe it's a little bit of karma uh, for, you know, maybe we overachieved a, a little bit last year, so we're kind of evening out a bit. So, but, yeah, like, just, uh, there there's a lot to work with. And I think what's key is, like, Pitt actually did a good job after the ACC championship game. Like the recruiting clearly took up, but stepped up a notch. And we've seen a fair amount of like freshmen, redshirt freshmen get some playing time. Like you see a lot to work with in the future. And so it's like, Hey, maybe we can, you know, bench some underperforming, uh, you know, upperclassmen and start getting some freshman playing time. And maybe that pays dividends in the long run. Yeah, it is. I mean, 
as you said, those those two seasons, uh, this this century, this millennium, uh, they're actually uh, uh, yeah. So two seasons where Pitt went five and seven. There was one year in two thousand five they went five and six, uh, but two thousand seven was the year of thirteen nine, and they they did go five and seven. That win over West Virginia was their fifth win. Uh, so that year, okay. I thought that was yeah. before the twelve games. So. No, yeah. So, so that was uh, that was five and seven year. And then the next year they go out and win nine games. And then again, uh, 2017, five and seven. Kenny Pickett develops. The next year uh, they go out and win seven games. Not a great year, but they do make it at least to the ACC championship game. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just you have to hope that essentially what happened at the quarterback position can happen all around the field. You bench the guy who you think is at the end of the line and you start looking ahead to next year, but they, you know, they still do have some games. And if the goal is, let's say they're still in play for five and seven, they've got two wins now. So they'd have to win three of their last five games. Here's the schedule coming up at Notre Dame versus Florida state at Syracuse neutral site, Yankee stadium versus Boston college at Duke. I certainly don't see three wins in there. I'm not sure I see two wins, but certainly if you're going to get to three wins, I mean, you've got to beat Syracuse. You've got to beat Boston College and, like, maybe at Duke. Maybe you pull a stunner against Florida State. I don't know. Coming up this week, they've got Notre Dame. That does not seem to have any hope at all. Right now, the line is 20. Notre Dame, 20-point favorites. Yeah. The, Notre Dame, as they are comprised right now, is just not a good matchup for Pitt. In the past, they have been. I don't think this is the year for that. They just have such a such a phenomenal defense. Like I just I I'm scared that this could be a, a really rough game for Christian Bayer and that like he's gonna get hit. He's he's gonna have to take some hits in order to have a prayer in this game, and you and that's gonna be a really tough environment to throw a guy into for I think his fourth career start because he had one at Penn State and this will be his third at Pitt. Not, not a great environment there. And I mean, their their offense is good, not great. When I say good, not great, I mean in respective to, you know, like top 25 teams. It's still a really good offense. It's just not like one that, you know, anyone's going to be, you know, talking about in a year or two. So, like, and Sam Hartman is a really experienced quarterback. And, you know, unfortunately for him, I mean, Pitt doesn't have the pass rush it had in 2021. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's going to have time to throw the ball. It's just, it's not a good setup. And, I mean, Florida State, I I said this last year, like whenever I saw that Florida State got Keon Coleman, I'm like, they're they're making the playoffs. And like they, the only chance chance Pitt has against Florida State is if Florida State doesn't show up. If like if Florida State just thinks like, yeah, we're gonna show up and beat the crap out of these guys, then Pitt's got a chance. If they show up firing all cylinders, it's I mean, we, we might be leaving at halftime to, you know, go to the casino or something. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, there there is a small chance because Florida State went on the road at Boston College and nearly lost. So maybe it could happen, but I certainly don't see it. And right now I'm thinking three, maybe four wins probably this season for the Panthers. So, yeah, j- just not looking great. Justin, before we go, I've asked this of a couple other guests. If you were the czar of pit football i was gonna say athletic director but even as ad there's only so much you can do because you don't necessarily want to overreach but if you're say pat narduzzi what is it that you do from now until the end of the season if anything and then what is it you do especially this off season going into next year to turn this ship around because obviously things are completely off track mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, um, you don't want to like start benching seniors, you know, because you know they just they've earned the right to play. But one of the things that's kind of gone by the wayside, uh, probably like 15, 20 years ago, you used to see in like the first drive of the second quarter, college teams will play their backup quarterback for one series. That, that's something that's gone away. And so what I would like to see them do is like take, you know, with, with take advantage of the new like red shirting rules. Let play some freshmen, like play, let, let guys go in and play a couple of series. You know, you don't have, you can let them play, you know, a couple of series. You're not like, you know, overly punishing your seniors. Let some guys, you know, get their feet wet, you know, let, let them get, especially like for a lot of freshmen, like no matter how live hitting is in camp, it's not live, live. You're always holding back a little bit, you know, because you don't want to hurt a teammate. You know, that that's just being a good teammate. So when you're on the field, there's just a different speed, a different intensity. So let a lot of those guys get their feet wet without burning their red shirt uh, to, to get them ready, you know, get given that feel, given that taste. And then this offseason, I think, you know, Pat really just needs to look in the mirror and say, why do I keep making the wrong offensive coordinator hires? Like, what is it about my process that isn't working? And if you really, I always, whenever I think about like successful long-term college coaching, you know, you got to go back to Nick Saban. And Nick Saban self-scouts probably better than any coach in football. And that's why he's been around for so long. And Nick Saban realized, I can't continue to be at the top of the sport and not have a, a a more modern offense. I can't do this three yards in the cloud dust. So he completely changed the way he approached offense and started hiring, you know, younger guys. He's done such a good job bringing in, you know, out bringing in new, you know, new ideas, bringing in guys he's never worked with before. Narduzzi needs to go out and actually do a full process for an offensive coordinator because I don't know if he's ever actually done a full process where he interviews a bunch of guys. Like I, I think. 2016 might have been the closest, uh, but even then, like it, he, he, I remember he said the press conference as soon as Matt Canada became available, it was basically like it, Matt, it's Matt Canada's job, and that worked out. But at the same time, like I don't think he's ever actually like you know gone in and like had like picked guys' brains. Like you see a lot of NFL teams do this, and I'm kind of rambling at this point, but um, uh, a lot of NFL teams, whenever they have to make a hire, they interview a bunch of people because. There's no shame in stealing good ideas. Yeah. Like the, the, no one is truly original. Everyone is stealing other people's ideas or taking an idea and improve upon it. So actually interview a bunch of guys and get ideas and have guys who are actually telling you, here's what you're doing wrong and here's how we're going to fix it. So actually put in that effort and look in the mirror to figure out what you're doing wrong. Completely agree. I, they, they really need a reset uh, when it comes to uh, this offseason, when it comes to the offense specifically, uh, ju just a brutal year again, pitting out two and five, not looking very optimistic the next couple games at 14th ranked Notre Dame and then verse fourth ranked Florida State. So we'll see. But we will have recaps for all those games right here on the Pit Talk Network on Football Unscripted. Uh, every single week we will uh, have these new episodes. So please subscribe wherever you get your podcast to Pit Talk Network. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining me in this one. You can find him on Twitter at NFL Gimpy. Uh, Justin, really appreciate uh, you coming on the pod. Awesome. I had a blast. Thanks for having me.
Absolutely. So uh, we will be back uh, later this week with Olympic Gold and Blue. That is coming back to talk pit volleyball, uh, Panthers pathway, previewing the Notre Dame game at the end of this week. And then again, football unscripted coming at you early next week. Uh, subscribe to Pit Talk Network for all the latest pit podcasts. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.